Our consideration for the day, building on a firm foundation. In most instances, mass evangelism, I wanted to say evangelical there, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And personal evangelism, as well as the preaching and teaching of the word of God, is not being done according to biblical plans given to the church by the divine architect. Many who are uh, engaged in the work of building the church are so engrossed in their own schemes that they do not stop to consider if they are working according to God's divine directions or whether their work will pass his final scrutiny. And we see this uh, written by Trevor McElwain, and I have seen it in many different places where people are coming up with all of these schemes and stuff to get people saved. Well, uh, we've talked about it many times here, and this is our motto for the perfecting of the saints. And as you're building up the believers within this church, they are then prepared to go out into the world and live a life that people can see, right? You can talk as much as you want to about what Jesus Christ has done. Words fall hollow on people when they see actions that don't align with the words that you're speaking, right? And so the best sermon you could do for anybody that doesn't know Christ is to live out the life in front of them. So why when I pray often, you, you'll hear me uh, refer to those believers that are around those individuals that don't know Christ, right? As they have the opportunity to show forth uh, things that are not normative to human behavior in front of people, those people can look at that behavior and say, wow, <laughs> that's something that is not common for this. I think of uh, Uncle Lee, right? This guy has been facing all of these health issues for a couple different years now that we've been uh, hearing about him from Brittany. And, and what does she say in her report? He is constantly in line with God's desires for his life. He's not asking to be here longer. In fact, he would desire to go home if it were up to him. And yet he's okay with staying here and living out the life in front of him. As I think about Mrs. J and her, her nephew and her sister, what did I pray when I prayed? I prayed that Miss J might be able to show the life in front of them that if they don't believe that they would be able to have the opportunity to say, hey, there's something about the way she's living this life that I need before I leave this earth, if that's what's going to happen. And so uh, you have these opportunities. Are we living them rather than lipping them? And this is uh, a big problem I see in the the church today. Uh, That brings us to our, our message in assessing a relationship with the, uh, with God the Father. And as we think about Father's Day, like I told you guys, I started off to talk about something totally different. And I was almost through those notes. And then I said, oh, <laughs> Sunday is Father's Day. And so I, uh, even men, don't feel bad, ladies, if you uh, don't put Father's Day up here. Even us men kind of uh, deprioritize it, I would say. Uh, but I think it's a lot because of the amount of work that uh, mothers are traditionally uh, seen as doing. But the father has a very important role within the household as well. And the example for how a father is supposed to conduct themselves is given within scripture, right? We don't have to go far outside of the bounds. It's interesting because we're going to be doing a uh, study on uh, what we call chastening in scripture, right? And everyone wants to see the hard side of discipline when it comes to a father. 
But do you know that that word for chastening that you would see in scripture is is really the word for child training? Right. There are many different things that you do to get your child from point A to point B. And the father shows a good example of what that really looks like. If God the father were like some parents, he would there'd be a lot of us that are sitting at home right now. Right. Because he wouldn't have the patience to sit there and deal with us and the long suffering to wait for us to get from start to finish. A lot of us as fathers say, the child doesn't do what you want them to do. I'm done with you, right? Severe punishment. The father measures out punishment as it's needed to every situation. What is needed to get this person from point A to point B. And he can do that with us because he has given us a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. This is not some uh, thing where he's just sitting up there on high and we can't have a relationship with him. We've become so physically related or fleshly related. uh, What's going on in this life? I can only have a relationship with someone that's sitting right in front of me that we don't recognize a spiritual relationship is way more impactful than a physical one, right? And so as we're relating to God in the realm of who he is as being spirit, this is what we have to understand. And so as we read through our context there earlier, we clearly saw that there are several elements that show that you and I have a very real connection to God the Father through his son Jesus. What did he say? We're born once, right? We've been born again through regeneration, through the baptism of the spirit. We've been uh, taken out of who we were before. And this is, uh, we talked about this at work as I talked to several people. We do these devotions and whatnot at work. And someone asked me about the importance of physical baptism. And they were stating that they didn't see it as important uh, as some people have made it out to be. And I said, what? You know what? It, it's not that it's not important. It's a good thing to do. But all you're doing is aligning your thinking with what happened in this spiritual realm physically. Right. You're doing a physical representation of that. And so what happened? God took us out of the world and placed us into Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so now we've been born again. And you can truly say that we've been born into the family of God. And so as you come to this word for adoption, we're going to look at that a little bit deeper. Uh, The word for adoption has changed over time. And as you get into the common world, it's seen this person that's adopted is not seen as much as part of that family as as a person that was naturally born into that family. And so as you take it and look at it today uh, for believers, this is not the same thing, right? You've not been adopted. You've been placed as a son. You've been born again into the family of God and now placed into a position of privilege. And this happens sometimes in the old world. We're going to look at that as well. And then uh, you are then a son, whether you be man or woman. You're a son. And it doesn't matter of the fact of gender there. The more important thing is the place of designation that you've been given, that you are indeed a legitimate son and heir as a result of that and heir together with Christ. All things that are Christ belong to us. Right. And we see that that's going to be 
a, a logical outcome of what happens with the believer. And so understanding that God the Father is a, a pattern for uh, fatherly behavior, of course we can never uh, attain to what God has done as the Father. But we should look to him as our example. And then we need to lean in to our relationship with the Father. Right? This is not just something uh, robotic that you can do. This is a relationship back and forth that you're having. And what do I say often when we encourage you to read the Bible? When you read the Bible, you're reading the words of God. You can take that parallel with the actions that you see God doing or you've seen him do in the past. And you pray to God the Father and it's communication. Right. I can't sit here and talk to God the Father like I'm talking to you. Right. But I can have dialogue with God the Father and then I'm reading his word and then I'm communicating what I desire for him. And then I'm seeing how he's working in these different situations that are occurring in my life. And so what we want to do today is look at the provision uh, of the entry into this relationship that we have with God the Father and then understand what are the benefits of this relationship uh, with God the Father. And then lastly, do I have a page three? I do. <laughs> Lastly, we're going to look at the option of the believer to live in light of a relationship with God. Now, uh, we can decide. Uh, the um, choice, of course, is always up to you as to how you're going to live. And this is where some people kind of get off uh, as far as, oh, there can't be a carnal Christian. There's no such thing as that. Well, there is an option for you as to how you're going to live. God has made these provisions available to you. You're never going to not be seen as a son of God or a born one of God. But guess what? We can live as ones that aren't born ones of God, right? Because we're living in the flesh. We don't have access to who we are in Christ because those things are all spiritual related. And so we'll look at this uh, moving forward. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day. We're grateful uh, for the work of your son, Jesus Christ, and then for uh, a work that's not uh, always appreciated is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing right now in the present as we'll allow him to. And so uh, the work that your son did uh, was great and it was accomplished on our behalf and it has ramifications to where we're living now. But the application of that uh, is given by the Holy Spirit. And so we're grateful uh, that he's working as we allow him to work, as we submit ourselves uh, to you and to who we are in Christ. He's able to apply those things that have been given to us and to make them real in our lives. And so we pray that we will be ones that, that step outside or step out of the way and allow uh, the Holy Spirit to do the work uh, that you desire to do in us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. And so the provision of entry into a relationship with the father. As we're looking at these uh, different things in chapter 8 of Romans that are said of the believer and how we have this relationship directly to God the Father, we would be remiss if we didn't look at the context of what's talked about in the book of Romans uh, preceding or leading up to that. And so we understand that, first of all, man is in and of himself unrighteous and unable to meet the desires that God has for us or the requirements that God has for people. We don't have that ability. Now, is there anybody in the room that has had a thought at a point in time that you could please God through 
something that you could do? I think this is at the very root of what was on that uh, thing we looked at on the back of the bulletin where people are trying to seek out ways to get other people saved, right? I think this is a good thing to do, right? I'm going to go out into the community and I'm going to make this different ministry because it's going to get a lot of people saved. And is it what God desired for you to do? Uh, not always the case. And so our own sense of self-righteousness can get us hung up. But we see, and historically, as you look back in, in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, that there are no men that are righteous. No, not one. In chapter 1, he looks at the Gentiles and says, uh, let's go over there to Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. And not only did the Gentiles end up being seen as unrighteous, it got worse, right? <laughs> it got worse and worse and worse. Man's behavior continues to devolve if left alone, right? And so as you see us now and we see all of these different things going on, there was a point in time in America where, where uh, there was some tether to how people behaved and conducted themselves. And I don't think historically all of these people were Christians, but they did have some religious standard for how they were living their lives. They did hold up scripture and those kind of things in it to tell people how you should conduct yourselves. And there was that fear of not living under that standard that punishment would happen if you didn't live this way. Well, guess what happens over time? Little piece here, <laughs> little piece there taken away. And now you have just open. Do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. Right. It's not up to me to decide how someone else should live their lives. And this is what happens. This is go way back here to Romans chapter 18. We're not going to read through the whole context, but I'm just going to point out some uh, things. Romans chapter one and verse 18. And so Paul is writing to these Roman saints and in the absence of being able to be with them and, and desiring to be with them. He says in verse 15, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. Now, know that this is and this is not our focus here, but I just want to point this out. He's not talking about the gospel for salvation. He's already they're already saved. He's writing to believers. And so what does he mean here? And this is something that I, I just want people to pay attention to because you read through and you don't pay close attention to these kind of things. They're already believers. And so he desires to teach them a gospel, as we're going to see in chapter 16, of how to live your life in the present. And I would say more specifically, how the works that Christ accomplished relate to your life now. You don't believe the facts of the gospel just to be saved. And that's it. <laughs> no more to do. There's a life to be lived, right? And as Paul talks about over in Philippians chapter 3, he wanted to know Christ and the power of his what? His resurrection. And so there is something about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and our relationship are tied together with that, that powers you in how you live in the very present. And so as he's writing to this, he's desiring for them to know this, that he can impart this knowledge to them. In verse 18 or 16, excuse me, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith into faith. And so righteousness from God. Here's something to note. Now let's look at where men go. 
as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18, for the wrath, and really not the wrath, because if it were the wrath, you would see everything of God poured on men. But over the course of time, God has revealed some or a bit or a piece, a quality of his wrath upon men. For a quality of the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness or ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth by unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his uh, eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Uh, again, we, we feel sympathy and pity, and it's in our human nature to feel sad for those people that, quote unquote, haven't had the opportunity to hear the, the gospel, right? And so we send missionaries out into the world to go and preach the gospel to them. But guess what? There are people out there that have never seen or heard of God that they have the opportunity to look at creation and say, this is not just something that was put here. This is not something that just happened by random circumstance. Brother Don was talking about, or I think it was actually Brother Rick that was talking about people believing in these amoebas or these little single-celled organisms that came out of the water and suddenly turned into different kinds of animals over the course of time. People really believe this stuff. <laughs> really? <laughs> they really believe this stuff. And they would rather believe that than to look out into creation and say that the God of the universe who clearly inspired and created all of these things is a true and living God. And if they would do that and say, hey, something else had to have put this here, God would provide instances for each of those persons to believe. Well, you have people that would rather believe nonsense than believe the truth. And this is where we are. Uh, this is where we've been over the course of time. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, and so here he looks at a time when people had the opportunity to experientially know God. That word for knew him is not just that you know generally that there's something called God. This is you experientially know him. You've had interaction with him. And I would say, I can't specifically say it, I know the pastor is, is stronger in this verbiage, but there were times, as you look back in the Old Testament, that the Son of God came down in flesh and interacted upon this earth. And there were opportunities that they can know that this is the true and living God that created all things. So when they knew him, what did they do? Specifically, as you look, I think, to the Tower of Babel, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see what happens when you start to think about life independent of God? When you try to dream up things on your own that you can do, right? That you have knowledge in and of yourself that a... a, a, a that expands to something, it, it turns out bad. <laughs> and you're going to see here that it just goes from bad to worse. Their foolish heart was darkened. That's where it started. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I see a lot of wise people walking around in this world, intellectual, <laughs> intellectual people who put themselves up here, and really their knowledge equates to nothing. 
because the very simple things about what can be seen and understood, they deny them all, right? It's not hard to look at a scientist and say, boy, that person is intelligent. They've got some ability to know and to understand. But they're starting from a faulty premise. They go against science because science is not supposed to read anything into what's happening, right? It's supposed to say, this is what I observe. This is what is true based on those observations. And they don't do that. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You see how men's minds degenerate, right? Very clear that a God, for anybody that has any sense, put these things here and created these things, but they'll start to say that these things that were created are the things that should be worshipped. Crazy. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to the uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. You see, it starts in the mind and then it degenerates to the body. And now you see these horrible acts that come as a result of this, right? Who changed, really this word for changed here is exchanged. They traded in the truth of God for not a lie, the lie. And I could go deeper into this, but it's the understanding or thought that man can live apart from God. And that's any deception starts there, right? I can do it on my own. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And what did this devolve into? It went from their minds and all of these crazy thoughts and ideas about uh, who God is or what gods are into them dishonoring their own bodies. And you see the homosexuality that came out of it. You see all of these other works of the flesh that started to happen. Even as you look at some of these other cultures where we've arrived at now where a life of a baby is not even important. And people think they've evolved. You're doing the same thing that people used to do thousands of years ago when they would just throw babies as sacrifices to these false gods. But people now, oh, it's, it's my body and my choice. This is the hue and cry of people. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You've evolved? This is the evolution of men? Uh, wow. Let me, let me not get carried away there. And so you see that Gentiles are proven over the course of time to be unrighteous. You go to chapter 2, he then looks at the Jews. <coughs> and specifically in verse 12, pick it up in verse uh, 9, or verse uh, 8 actually, he says, But unto them uh, that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness and indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, uh, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respecter, respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law, also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, shall be judged by the law. For uh, not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And so you see, uh, law is given to who? 
Israel. And if they can't live up and we see they didn't to that standard, then guess what? It is summarized that the Jews are unrighteous as well. And as we come to chapter 3 and look into verse 12, we could have went into that a little bit deeper, but we've got to get moving here. Uh, verse 9, actually. What does he say? And he comes to this conclusion. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have uh, before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under what? Sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are, uh, uh, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And so he goes in even further than that to explain how decrepit, how disgusting, how gross the nature of man is apart from God. So if you can summarize what he said here with all of these people, there is a need for righteousness that every last one of us have to come into this world because there is none that have not been born after Adam, as we're going to see in chapter 5. And we all have this need for righteousness, but not our own. Because as we seek to uh, prove ourselves to God in our own righteousness, it ends badly every time. But what happens in chapter 3, and really in chapter 4, uh, it's pointed out, it starts in chapter 3 and ends up in chapter 4, that need for righteousness was filled by Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished. He fulfilled completely the requirements of the law. He died on behalf of us that we might live. And that righteousness from Christ is imparted unto you and I when we believe the facts of the gospel. And so as, as righteousness goes, he's the one. In verse 20, it says, Therefore, by the lead, deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law or apart from the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And really there, what you can say, as it's read in the Greek, all sinned at a point in time, and they keep on coming up short of the righteousness of God. It's a perpetual thing. He stated the sin happened at a point in time, and I'm going to show you that that's back with Adam, or after Adam. We all are counted of sin in Adam. But uh, we continue in your present life to come up short of the glory of God. Right? Anybody in here can say in this last year that they've been perfect and perfectly lived up to the righteousness that's in Christ? Well, anyone said in the Old Testament, if you could go back there, any of those people, did they ever completely live up to what they were supposed to live up to as far as the law was concerned? If they, if they did, there wouldn't have been need for any sacrifice. There wouldn't have been a need for Christ to come and die on our behalf. We don't do it. We're not able to do it. And verse 24, he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Skip over to chapter four and verse 26. 
No, chapter 4. Uh, I mean, 20, uh, 23, I'm sorry. <laughs> Boy, I got it wrong in my notes there, too. <laughs> It wouldn't be a Sunday if I didn't have one here. <laughs> All right, and so in, in the beginning of chapter 4, remember, and I've said this in many opportunities I've had to teach, that Abraham is given as an example of what it looks like to have something counted, right? And if you want a biblical definition of what it means for God to count something to you, you can see it in this chapter. We all know what it means to count something to us because we all have bank accounts, right? And that physical money is not really there. This is all theory, theoretical money. We never see the physical money until we take it out uh, uh, in whatever transaction that we're doing. But there's a lot of theoretical counting and accounting that's going on there. God is counting something or calling something to be true that is not necessarily true in the physical realm. Pick it up in verse um, verse 16. We're going to read there really quickly. It says, therefore, it is not uh, of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be uh, sure to all the seed, not to that only which is out from the law, but to that also which is out from faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him. Uh, whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calls those things which be not as though they, they were. Uh, if you've uh, been around me long enough, I tell you, underline, mark, highlight, whatever you need to do in your Bible when you need to see a biblical definition. This word that we see in the context is translated counting, reckoning. It's translated many different ways in this context. It's just defined right there in verse 17. He calls those things which aren't as though they were, right? Because he's God and whatever he says, he can do that. He created all things. And so in verse 18, he says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being weak uh, in the faith, he considered not his own body now dead uh, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Somebody was talking about faith there earlier and how much faith it takes to believe certain things. Here, Abraham is placing his faith in something that is physically impossible. You don't see 100-year-old men with 90-year-old women having babies. It just doesn't happen, right? It, it doesn't happen. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that that which he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed, there's a word for counted to him, for righteousness. You see, God can say, you do this thing, you place, place faith in this promise that I've made to you, and I'm going to count that to you for righteousness, even though the, the fact of the matter is, Abraham was not righteous, <laughs> right? You can see it as he goes forth from here and he goes into these different places and he lies <laughs> several times and says, uh, Sarah is my, my sister and not my wife. You see a lot of unrighteous things that he did after that fact. Uh, and yet God counted that act to him for righteousness. 
Now, it is, was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed or counted if we believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord out from dead ones, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, Christ's work now that you don't, partic- you don't see yourself participating in that work, right? You ever, ever felt pains in your hands from being nailed to the cross or <laughs> being beaten all day long? And I've never felt that. But in Romans chapter 6, it tells us that when Christ died, you died. When Christ was buried, you were buried. When Christ rose again, you rose again. And so the work of Christ is counted to you by God the Father. And so it's like you died for your own sins. We need to get flying here. I spent a lot of time on this early section. I didn't mean to spend this much time here. Um, uh, point two, we see the necessity for the work of the son to be, or, or to undo the work of Adam. And so over in chapter five, we referenced this before. And really pick it up real quick at verse one while we're going there in chapter five of Romans. So he says, on the basis of these things that Christ has accomplished and your faith in those works, guess what? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not just that, not just just that you have peace in verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope. You see now. We have entry to God, and we're going to see even further a little bit later a relationship with God, who is our father, and we are his children. And so that access was provided by the son, uh, in spite of what was uh, going on there as far as Adam's concerned. Uh, pick it, or skip down to verse 10. It says, for if when we were enemies, this word, uh, and, and think about it in verse 1 where he says we have peace with God. Guess what? We were counting God as an enemy. We were looking at him as our adversary prior to our salvation. And he has uh, created peace uh, as a result of the work of his son. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have uh, now received the atonement, or this word here for reconciliation. Verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, or entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is not talking about the sins you're doing now. This is not talking about the sins that we, we can do any point in time in this life. This is talking about the fact that when you came into this world, guess what? God was looking at you as having sin before you had done anything, right? And so people say, well, <laughs> how, can, how can that be? Well, let's keep reading. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, not counted, where there is no law. What is the proof of this? Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned.
from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was a figure of him that was to come. You see, people all along between Adam all the way to Moses were dying, even though there was no law. So you can't impute sin where there is no law. And yet people were still dying. Why is this? Because all have sinned, if you look in the Greek there, at a point in time. And where does that point in time? When Adam sinned, guess what? His sin was counted to everyone that came after him. And so we all, as a result, have this nasty, horrible sin nature that sometimes gets the better of us. Verse 15, but not as the offense, uh, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one man, or of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of, uh, from grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. And so we see there was a necessity of someone to come along to undo the work that Adam did. Those sacrifices that were given even after the law came, they were never enough. There was always pointing to something else that was coming. A work that needed to be done to not just cover those sins, which is what those animal sacrifices did, but to take them away. And the work that Christ accomplished on our behalf does what? It doesn't just cover up those sins. It takes them away as though they never happened. And so it's, uh, um, you can go all, all over the Old Testament and you see different things pointing to their needing to be a sacrifice uh, to provide uh, in that way. And so what are the benefits of a relationship with God the Father? As we understand, we have a need for this relationship with the Father because we are indeed unrighteous. And that, that relationship with him allows not just for us to walk in the way that we're supposed to walk, it allows us forgiveness where we fall short of where we're supposed to be. But what are the benefits of having this relationship? Well, here's the words. We are naturalized, uh, born ones into his family. And so this idea of being born ones, go back with me over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. And we see this word uh, pop up actually in verse 16. He says there, the spirit himself uh, bears witness with our spirit. And so the Holy Spirit of God with our human spirit bears witness of what? The fact that we are born ones of God. You are legit, legitimately born in the family of God. Now, as, as we talk about uh, our children as fathers with our children, there are some markers, right, that often say this is your son or this is your daughter. That person might look like you, right? That person might act like you. That person might have identifying marks on their body that you have on your body. There are things that point to the fact that we are sons of our human fathers. But you want to know what points to the fact that you're son of the true and living God? You have the Holy Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and leading you into those different things that you're supposed to do, it's proof of the fact that you're a born one of God and you've been born into his family. This word for born one occurs in scripture a couple of different times. Uh, back over a lot of different times in this, but these are some of the ones I want to point to. Uh, but back in John chapter 1 and verse 12, 
we see that believers during Christ's earthly ministry were given the authority to become born ones uh, when the Holy Spirit came. And so go back with me there to John chapter 1 and verse 12. And it's an interesting thing. It's, it really shows <laughs> people say dispensationalism is, is not scriptural or <laughs> it doesn't have a scriptural basis. Well, first of all, you see the word for dispensation show up <laughs> in scripture. But you also see here these different things that happen where God was doing something different. You look at Christ's earthly ministry and people were obviously saved during his earthly ministry, right? Well, if they were saved and received everything that they were supposed to receive, how come the Holy Spirit had to come after the day of Pentecost? Why did that happen? Why is it that these people weren't sons of God right away when they believed the, whatever they believed during Christ's earthly ministry? As soon as Peter... There you got it. <laughs> As soon as Peter, by some of these people's logic, whenever Peter said, you are the son of God, right? He should have received everything that he was supposed to receive. But yet we see that Peter walked totally different during Christ's earthly ministry. And we're going through Acts in our, our Sunday school than he did after, right? The Peter that we see in Acts is totally different than the Peter we saw in the Gospels. And why is that? It's the Holy Spirit. Pick it up in uh, verse 9. It says, That uh, was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world knew him not. Remember, we talked about the sun coming down and what we saw over there in Romans chapter 1, uh, and, and the creator being worshipped, or the creation worshipping more than the creator. Here you see clear indication of it that it was still going on during Christ's earthly ministry. He made everything, and the world didn't know him experientially, even though he was right in their face, right there before him. Verse 12, or verse 11, excuse me. He came unto his own things. So here we see the neuter of this word for own. He came into his own things, but his own people, here's a, a masculine version of this word, his own people received him not. And so what did he say when he was in the boat? He said, peace be still. And the wind just kept on blowing, right? <laughs> no, the wind obeyed him. He filled up barrels of wine, transcending matter, turning water into wine, which is not chemically possible. <laughs> it's only possible if you're the one that created those things, right? He can manipulate water into wine because he created it. The water didn't say, nope, I'm just going to remain as H2O. It turned into wine. It obeyed him. But what did the people do? These people who are a result of his creation, these people who are of Israel that was called out from among the nations to be his sons that we're going to see here later, they didn't obey him, right? Interesting thing there. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. We see that believers conduct uh, believers' conduct as born ones of God should be without blame. And so this idea here of being one that is born out from God, there's something that's expected of you. Now, this is very relatable to what we see with fathers <laughs> and mothers in this world. Your kids are born from you. You have a certain expectation of how you desire for them to live, right? You have certain standards of things that you desire for them to do. 
Now, children sometimes don't meet these standards, right? <laughs> children have a mind of their own and sometimes decide they're going to do what they want to do. And the same is true for you and I. Uh, but pick it up in verse uh, 12. He says, where, where are you now, Philippians? Philippians chapter 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 12. And he says there, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this might trip some people up too, right? Uh, how do you work for your salvation? Well, you believe the facts of the gospel, but you're still in this world in the midst of your present tense salvation. And this is what he's telling you to work. But even at that, he says uh, in verse 13, for it is God which is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, God, God is always at the back of anything that you're doing to accomplish this according uh, to his will. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless. The born ones, not sons there, but this is our word for born ones. Uh, of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We should be standing as a strong contrast to the darkness that's in the world, right? As those uh, angels or spirit beings are looking down and learning different things about how God applies what he knows, we should be ones that are little bitty sparkling lights in the midst of all of this darkness that's in this world. Sometimes our lights are a little bit dim. <laughs> that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, sometimes our lights aren't shining as bright as they should, right? But that light can brighten back up <laughs> at a moment when we get our minds to where they're supposed to be. Over in First, uh, uh, first John chapter 3 and verse 1, we see believers being called born ones of God as an expression of God's love. And so the very fact that you and I are able to be called born ones of God shows that he loves us. We used to have a song uh, that, that stated these, these verses <laughs> in and of themselves. Sometimes those are the best songs, but we pick it up here in uh, chapter 1 of, uh, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called, not the sons here, it's not our word huyas, it's our word technon, which means born ones of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knoweth him not. Beloved, now are we born ones of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be like, or what we shall be. But we uh, know that we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so not only are we given here the fact that you're a born one of God, we're given a promise that relates to the future that when we see Christ, we're going to be like him. And what does that look like? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We, we see when Christ appeared to, uh, to uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, what did he see? <laughs> he saw nothing but light. So I'll assume whatever form we're going to appear in, it's going to be something that has to do with light and glory. Uh, but we see that uh, coming forth in our future. And so this idea of being born ones of God is born out all through scripture. 
You are ones that have been born into the family of God. Doesn't matter your human relation or the fact that your name is Jeffrey or Alexander or Bran or whatever your last name might be. You're part spiritually of the family of God. And we're all together and experience the oneness and unity uh, that comes along with that. Now, in the uh, context back in Romans, we see this idea here uh, in Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 16 that the believer uh, has been baptized into Christ and that the believer has experienced, uh, experience, boy, I'm seeing a lot of errors here, the new birth into the family of God and that the believer is born, uh, uh, considered a born one of God. Now, not only does he say that over in uh, chapter 8 of Romans, he also says that we are uh, ones that have been adopted or, or placed as sons. And so as you look uh, at the bottom of your uh, uh, notes here, this idea of being adopted, uh, in the Old Testament they give some examples here of, of adoptions that took place. And the one that will jump out to you is, is Moses, right? Because he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and then taken and put into that family just like he was one of their own, right? He was brought up just like any other Egyptian child was brought up. Now, when I was younger and we were learning this in Sunday school, I thought, boy, were they blind? They didn't know that they looked different than they looked or what was going on here. But what you come to understand about this is they just accepted him into their culture. It's nothing different than Joseph when he was brought into the Egyptians and they accepted him as being an Egyptian, right? Some similar to what you see in America when people come over here to America, whatever country you came from, you're an American, right? And so that's what, what happened here. But the interesting thing of it is uh, that you see in a lot of these interactions of adoptions in the Old Testament and in other cultures is that they are seen as part of that family, Right. The Greeks in Greece, a man uh, might during his lifetime or by will take uh, effect after his death, adopt any male citizen into the privileges of his son. But with the invariable condition that the adopted son accepted the legal obligations and religious duties of a real son. You see, they're not seeing any difference between their son and this son. You could be taken from outside of another family and placed into this one and given all the inheritance like a son was given. And that's what relates to you and I. We have been placed as sons, right? We are given all the privileges of being in this family. And really, <laughs> having been born into it, we are. We're part of this family, right? We're not adopted in the American sense where <laughs> you take this guy that was comes from a, a hard background and I'm going to take him out of this family and put him into this one. But I'm going to treat all my other children differently <laughs> than I treat this guy over here because he's adopted. That's not how it works. You and I are naturalized parts of the family of God. Amazing work that was done uh, by the work of Christ. And so we see this word for adoption pop up a couple different times in Scripture. Over in Romans chapter 9, he looks at uh, Israel. Uh, that we're not going to go here because we need to start moving. But Israel uh, received this uh, from God and being chosen from among the other nations. And you know what? I, I don't usually do this, but rather than rush through this, 
I'm going to go to each one of these and we're going to cut it off where we need to and we'll continue next month when I, when I speak again. I don't, I don't uh, take advantage of that enough. I forget that I speak once a month. Uh, but hopefully you guys will be able to remember back to this and I'll try to, to make a good introduction that we'll uh, remember back. But go with me over to uh, Romans chapter 9 and verse 4. You know, these notes never look like they're going to be as long as they end up being. I thought this would, I would struggle to get to an hour with this. It never turns out that way. Um, but remember what Paul is talking about here. And so Romans uh, is kind of fragmented as we've talked about. He moves away from talking about uh, the believer and the condemnation and those different things that we have here into looking at Israel again specifically. And where is Israel's place in what God is doing and his plan and purposes right now? And so as you look through uh, from chapter 9 through uh, chapter 11, he talks about where Israel's place is right now. And so what does he say in verse 1? I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness by the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish, this word for wish here is really the word for vow. It's a form of communication with God. And uh, if you do certain such and such a things, I will do such and such a thing. So he says, I, will, I could vow that myself were a curse from the Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. And so it's a pretty big thing he's saying here, right? He, he, he wishes that he could take or be a curse or cut off from blessing so that the whole nation of Israel could be saved. Uh, I would never do that, but he did it in verse 4. Who are Israelites to whom pertained the adoption. Here's that word for son placement, right? And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Who are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. You see, Israel is seen as a nation as having been placed as sons from among all the other nations. If we went over to Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 2, which I don't want to do here today, but you guys can do that on your, your own. You would see that God chose Israel out from among all of the other nations and they were given a special place with reference to the true and living God to do what? To show the rest of the other nations that the God of Israel is bigger than other, all these other gods that they're serving. And so if we, we went back into it deep, you could see that, but that's not our, our purpose. Uh, we also see this word pop up over in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5, where those around uh, during and after Christ's earthly ministry received the blessing of being uh, placed as sons. So go, go with me over to Galatians chapter 4. And verse 5. <clears throat> now what Paul is doing here in this book of Galatians <clears throat> is he's contrasting a lot of what God was doing with Israel with what he's doing with the, the church. And these guys were really hung up on this legalism. You had people that are trying to get these believers to live under law. And what you see with these people that believe in living under law, it's never enough to just live under the law themselves. They got to get other people to do it, right? Sounds a little bit like one of our words for evil. <laughs> we look at the word for Ponyros evil. You're not satisfied to just be evil by yourself. You got to pull someone else in to that evil. 
And we see this here. Pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption or son placement. Uh, here, the adoption of, of sons is our word for son placement. And because you are sons, and there's our word for huyas, uh, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba. Father, we're going to see that a little bit uh, further on in this study, this idea that you have a personal, affectionate relationship with God the Father, right? What do our kids affectionately call us? I affectionately call my mom, mother. And some people look at that and say, well, he calls his mom mother. He doesn't have any close relationship with her. That's what we've called my mom since I was a child. So if I called my mom something else, it wouldn't be affectionate, Right? And so to call her mother is affectionate to me. Some people call their dads daddy on Father's Day. We went on the trip on the cruise a couple years ago. People remember back. And this guy was playing a joke on my dad because he kind of looked like him. And he popped up and said, Daddy, you're my daddy. And he was following him around the rest of the cruise, calling him daddy, daddy, daddy. This is a term of affection for other uh, uh, individuals. Well, we're going to see what this word for Abba is. It comes from the Aramaic, right? And it simply means uh, father. But if you were to look at it a little bit further and how it's used in this context, it gives it a little bit of a different meaning. Uh, but go with me over to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. We see the placement of believers as sons is in accordance with God the Father marking off the bounds of our lives. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. And so, remember this word for predestinated, uh, you see it translated in scripture a lot of times, just has the idea of placing borders around something, right? We have a lot of kids in the room that wander around. When kids are babies and they can't move anywhere, they're a lot easier, right? <laughs> because they, they can't get into stuff, <laughs> But once they start walking, they're all over the place. You can't keep them hemmed in. So sometimes you might want to put a little border around them so they don't go too far. And that's how it is for us, right? God has put certain measures around our lives that are going to get us to where he desires for us to be. And when you start buttoning up against those walls, that's where maybe a little interaction has to take place, right? To get us to where we need to be. Pick it up in verse 3. It says, Blessed is the God, even Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You see, a lot of people have a problem with this word for election, right? They don't want to believe that God picks them over others. Well, uh, <laughs> eat this page as Dr. Schaefer used to say because it's right there in the scripture according as he has chosen us to be in him before the foundation of the world a lot of people give a lot of credit to their own abilities and not understand that it's God that's done the work in you 
from start to finish. Having predestinated us according to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This idea here of he's placed borders around the lives of each individual believer. These certain things that you're going to do, you have complete freedom, but within the borders of this. And when you start getting outside of that, guess what? It relates to salvation at the beginning. He marked out the borders that there's only certain things you're going to be able to do. So you believe those facts of the gospel. Then he marked off borders in your present tense salvation. where You're not going to get outside of this because outside of this, guess what? You would be seen as losing your salvation and he's not going to allow that to happen. And so when we start butting up against that, you get into what we talk about there before we take of the uh, Lordian table there uh, each month. And so God's placed these borders around our lives or predestinated us into the sun placement that we could be placed as sons. And so this relates uh, uh, to how we receive this sun placement uh, through Christ Jesus. Uh, and so as you go back over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, and we don't want to go there because I'm going to close this out. We can start turning there because we're going to go to Romans 9. Um, but this idea of being placed as sons is very uh, important to those things that we've been given uh, by God through Christ. And so not only have we been placed as sons, because we've been placed as sons, we have the ability to be seen as sons or put in this place of uh, position and privilege that you uh, see talked about in other parts of Scripture. In Romans chapter 9, and verse 26, the Gentiles are able to be called sons of God. Now, here's a true statement of sons of God, though previously not being people of God, right? So it's very important to look at this word for people. You ever heard anybody uh, uh, quote this term, loami, not my people? And if you go back to, I believe it's in Malachi, you would see that at the end of the day, with Israel and their conduct, they were a people of God before, but at a certain point, he cut it off and said, guess what? You are not my people. The Gentiles were seen as people that were... (laughs) Just offshoots. They had nothing to do with anything with reference to God. Here and there you would see uh, individual Gentiles saved. But here God is saying now with the giving of his son as a sacrifice for you to believe in that you now have the opportunity to be called sons of God. In verse 26 of chapter 9, it says, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it had been said unto them, You are not my people. There shall, uh, there shall they be called ch- uh, children, but this is actually a word for sons of the living God. And so he goes into a couple other citations there. And in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, we see the believer placed as, a sons, uh, as sons of God comes from faith in Christ. And we'll close out here. Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Did I say verse six? <laughs> and let's pick it up in pick it up in verse twenty-two. He says, "But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin." We saw that. Remember back in uh, Romans chapter nine and, and verse eleven, and you could even see it in the Old Testament as well. 
that the scripture is, is concluded all under sin. That the promise by the uh, faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the, uh, unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we no longer uh, are under a schoolmaster. And so if you look in the old culture again, they were placed under these guys that were designed to get them to a certain place. That tradition carries on even in America with, with teaching, right? You're in high school for a certain amount of years until you get the appropriate amount of knowledge to, quote unquote, go out into the world. Now, I don't know that we're... <laughs> We're getting the appropriate amount of knowledge. I, I see people that don't even know how to write a check or to do certain things after they're coming out of high school these days. But you're supposed to be, after a certain point, able to do certain things. And this was the truth in these households, right? After you've reached a certain age, you've acquired the appropriate amount of knowledge that you're no longer in need of this individual to teach you these things. Um, that's what the law is, is seen as here in the illustration. Verse 26, for you are all the sons of God, not children there. This is our word for huyas, by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, you're in Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all you all are one in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so you have uh, certain promises that relate to you as a result of having been born in Christ. Right. And next week, we're going to look at that idea of being heirs. Well, not next week, but next month. <laughs> and we'll see that as the, the third leg of this. Uh, uh, things that have been promised to the believer uh, in Christ. But uh, the Father, being our Heavenly Father, has given us benefit to a lot of things. And we could go on way uh, further than this, but we're just looking in this context in Romans. And as you look at it, you are not just ones that were stragglers along, that uh, God came along and said, oh, that poor little guy there. <laughs> Let me bring him in and give him a place to stay. <laughs> Let me take him off the streets. He might even be able to be called my son for a little while, but he's not sons like these sons I already have. That's not what God did. God did a work through his son that causes us to be able to be true members of the family of God. And I know the day that we're living in, gender matters, right? Women aren't treated as well as men are treated and we're going hard for our liberation and all this kind of thing. But guess what? It doesn't matter who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. All of these things that men make a, a big deal about in this world currently don't matter because every last one of us have the same benefits in Christ. That's why you notice I don't say a lot of people go, have gone to saying now sons and daughters. I think that diminishes what he's saying there as far as you being a son. The irony of it all is that any woman that's sitting in this room 
has as much benefits as any man sitting in this room, and it doesn't matter, right? You have the same relationship and access to God the Father that we do. What's another difference that people like to make? Somebody that's a teacher, somebody that's a pastor that has this gift, they have some connection to God that the rest of the believers don't have. I know people don't say this, but this is how people act. Can you pray for me because you're a pastor? What does that mean? You can pray just like I can. And I'm happy to pray for people, but everybody has the same access. Everybody's been given a gift. Here's another one. Spiritual gifts, right? Do you not realize that your gifts are just as important as the one that's up here before the rest? Paul says, what are what if your gifts that differ from another, right? These are all things that God is utilizing us for to accomplish his will. And we can do that through our direct relationship with him being our father. And so if you take nothing else away from this, understand that you are blessed beyond measure to have a relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, that he's provided. It's available (laughs) and it doesn't matter what you do. You can mess up 10 times. It's still going to be there for you. Don't mess up too much because you might start buttoning up against those borders <laughs> we talked yeah. about. Right. Uh, but even at that, it's going to be God's grace. And uh, it's not that you're going to hell. <laughs> right? There's a lot of people that are not going to be able to see the same future that you're seeing. But these things that have been started in us by God through Christ and now through the leading of the Holy Spirit... He's going to get us from point A to point Z. And he's going to accomplish it through us all. All right, let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll close out. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and uh, grateful that it is not up to us uh, to reach, to determine, to decipher uh, these things that you've already laid out for us. It's just uh, for us to arrange our mind uh, to who we are in Christ to access the relationship that you've freely given to us in order that we might be able to walk in these works, that we we can look like uh, what you desire for us to look like, that uh, we can be clothed in your son, Jesus Christ. And maybe people don't see a physical version of him, but spiritually through our uh, actions, when we're aligned with you and where you desire for us to be, we can look a little bit like your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that... um, Uh, We would be in appreciation of the relationship that we've been given, especially uh, on this day where we uh, remember and think of the fathers and the the ways that you utilize them uh, in the lives of their children. We're grateful that you utilize uh, yourself and your great self, your relationship or the the provisions that your son has provided and your Holy Spirit uh, to conduct a relationship with us when we'll allow you. And so we pray that we would all uh, be walking in that and accomplishing those works that you have for us. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.